Welcome back. Heming Brainiacs to the podcast, talking about chapter 13.1. I didn't have any discussion prompts, but it looks at things. Nope. Swim says, the moment fishy says, okay, George's reminiscence raised my eyebrows. A rabbit farm? I think not. Indeed, it is a rabbit horning. The Sussex Downs, Sussex Downs area is very beautiful. All right, let's have a look. Wikipedia. That is quite pretty. So there's only one photo. Sussex Downs. I'm going to Google image it. Beautiful British countryside. With the... Uh, the white cliffs in the background. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It looks, you know, it doesn't look dissimilar to the area that I live in, to be honest. Um, just looks a little bit more British and a little bit more coastal. Have you ever read Watership Down by Richard Adams, says Slim? Yes. I read it shortly after it was published in 1972, so I was 13 at the time. I read it in one go while I was sick at home from a school day. My mother had checked it out of the public library. I loved it. Couldn't put it down. I really need to reread it as an aged adult. Um, haven't read it. Seen the animation. Horrific. Traumatic. Um, but, uh, you know, Classic. Maybe I should read it. I just love, says Tekrafik, the expression in the beginning, buttonhold. It really paints a vivid picture of the author grabbing hold of that journalist. The frustrating aftermath is something we all feel when we engage in conversations that seem to lead nowhere. So often we seem to be speaking across purposes, but it even is even worse when we do understand each other, but one side has zero Fs to give. Sounds like my entire working week at work in every meeting. And I suffer from that as well too. When you're talking about very boring stuff, like work stuff, it's so hard to listen in a meeting to what the other people are saying, especially when you have ADHD. Um, So, yeah. Uh... Are we ready to continue? I think we are. Let me find our place here. All right, moving right along. Here's the next bit of the chapter. Again, a great gap comes into my narrative. Memory chooses to retain certain scenes and to allow others to perish, and her choice often seems arbitrary and unreasonable. Why should I, for instance, remember Knight, the keeper at Freshcombe Lodge, A spare silent man is before me as I write, and in my memory he still goes about his work just as he used to do 20 years ago. He strides along, a typical gamekeeper, stopping by the thorn tree to see if there is anything in his traps. A red and white animal is struggling in one of them, and he's killed with a blow of his stick and hung up in a thorn tree. Night, tying, sorry, night, saying that the young stoats will come there looking round after her, and that he expects to get the whole litter by the end of the week. Every morning as I sat at my window writing, I used to see Knight taking food to the great mastiff that was kept some twenty yards from the house, a poor silent animal, always on a chain, to whom the glory of strangling a poacher never came. Colville bought a bloodhound. It was thought she might be useful for tracking. 
but she was as useless, a useless, timid bitch, to whom we could never teach anything, but some of her puppies learned to follow a trail in fresh comb button. Close to the house, there were ten couples of beagles. Hard, wiry, blue-haired beagles. <clears throat> and all these are forgotten, but sailor lad. Who could find his way over any fence, and who could put his nose down and trail a rabbit when he could no run no faster than a hedgehog. We all loved him for his cleverness and waited eagerly for the first shooting feeling that would lead the pack, but Sailor Lad was gun-shy. The squire and I were very fair shots. We could be counted upon to shoot well forward, hitting the rabbit in the head, spoiling him as little as possible for the market, but in spite of our careful shooting, Colville soon found that the profit that could be made on shot rabbits would not pay the interest of the large sum of money that had been spent on the house and hurdles. He determined to make an end of the shooting parties and told me one night how he thought the rabbits might be netted. The furs must be planted in strips with 80 yards of feeding ground between each strip the rabbits would leave the furs at dawn and the nets could be lifted. It would not be difficult to invent some mechanism to lift them quickly so that the rabbits would not have time to get back into the furs. But the replanting of the furs, I said, would keep the whole of the Sussex militia at work for, I was about to say, ten years, but Colville interrupting me said that he did not propose the work should be done at all at once and I answered that I hoped he did not propose to himself any such job. It is not wise to argue with a man who has just risen from an unsatisfactory examination of his accounts, and later, after some tactless advice of mine to leave such matters at the catching of the rabbits to his keeper, he lost his temper and, rushing to the door, threw it open and begged of me to retire to my own apartments. When he called me down to breakfast next morning, I heard a tremor in his voice, and after some injudicious attempt at explanation, we seemed to come to a tacit understanding that it would be better to let the matter drop. He was very wrathful. His temper had been sorely tried, and for a week at least I am sure that I must have seemed to him a cruel and sympathetic fellow. It is not to be doubted that I was at fault. But Colville could not see that it was my overflowing sympathy that prevented me from observing that rule of conduct which must be observed if two men would live together. Each must, be, must keep from asking the other questions and from criticising the other's projects. It would have been interesting to debate this point with him, but Colville was not much interested in any time in criticism of the human mind he had an ear, however, for music, and whistled beautifully going up and down stairs, and a few days after hearing that the nightingales were singing in the coombe, we went out to listen to them. In yon thorn you'll find him, night said, and we moved on quietly till we came within sight of the insignificant brown bird that had just arrived, possibly from Algeria. Not a wind stirred, in the tall glass, nor was there a cloud in the sky, a dim gold fading into grey and into blue, darkening overhead, a ghostly moon floated in the south, and the blue sailless sea was wound about the shoulders of the hills like a scarf. 
a fairer evening never breathed upon this world, nor did a lovelier prospect ever enchant human eyes, and Golville and I sat a twain enchanted. It was one of those evenings when confidences rises to the lips, and Colville, as if to show me that he had forgotten our quarrel, confided new projects to me. In years to come, he hoped to fill the coombs with apple trees. They would cost from half a crown to three and sixpence apiece to buy, and in some twenty years or more, orchids would bloom every May from Thunder's Barrow Barn all the way to the foot of the Downs. My imagination was touched, and we returned through a blue dusk, delighted with each other, fearful lest our lives should not continue to be lived at Freshcomb till the end. We may have even dreamed of our graves under the apple boughs, and when we reached the top of the hill, we had reached also the top of our friendship. A few days afterwards, the evenings began to seem a little tedious. All I had to say to Colville I had said, for the time being at least, and his sisters and his mother and his father, whom I loved well, were always glad to see me, and the walk was pleasant along the hillside, and it was pleasant to enter the Italian house under the ilex trees and to find them all glad of my company. The squire liked me to stay on after dinner, to play billiards with him, and to keep to the sheep path without missing in it on a dark night was difficult. So I was often persuaded to stay the night. These visits became more numerous, and I went to London more frequently. Life, although pleasant, at the top and at the foot of the downs, was too restricted in view for the purpose of my literature. If one wants to write, one has to live where writing is being done, I said, and again I left my friends, this time for a still longer absence, and I might never have returned to them if the Boer War had not brought me down to Sussex to find out if there was anything in England, in the country, in the people, with which I could still sympathise. The train that I was returning to my friends by did not pass through a Brighton, but came through Preston Park by what is known as the Loop Line, and as we approached Shoreham, my thoughts were bent on that house far away, among the hills. It was not likely that I should find Colville as pro-Boer as myself. His long militia service would render an active pro-Boer policy impossible, but he might regard the war as a mistake, and feeling myself to be in a distinctly reasonable mood, I decided that if Colville would agree to regard the war as a mistake, we might come to terms. About a quarter of a mile lay between their house and the station, and up that straight road I walked, wondering if a great deal of my admiration for the country might be attributed to my love of the people who lived at the foot of those hills. And catching sight of somewhat shapeless line, nowise beautiful in itself, I said, it may be so, but the downs must not be judged by one hillside. The squire will lend me a horse, and over to Findon I will go tomorrow. Only after a long ride shall I know if I still love the downs, and as this resolution formed in my mind, I heard the squire calling me. He was on the top of the stile coming out of the cornfield, and it was pleasant to see him cross it so easily, and to see him still dressed in breeches and gaiters, hale as an old tree, and not unlike one, just as spare and as rugged. 
It gave me a hand covered with a hard reddish skin like bark, and the shy smile that I knew so well trickled down my down his wide mouth. Oh, I'm going to have to pause there. It's a weird spot to pause, I know. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm just doing a short reading again tonight due to being overworked at work. So, we'll finish the chapter tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow.